HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden, a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Purchase a copy today at southernfarmandgarden.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is Lisa Held coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're listening to The Farm Report a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. I'm here today with New York City Council Member Rafael Espinal, and we're going to be talking about urban agriculture policy in New York City. Welcome, Rafael. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, thanks for being here. So before we jump in, um, I have to kind of take a little moment um, to say that today is a really exciting day because this is my very first episode as the new host of The Farm Report. Um, since it's the start... Oh, thank you, David. <laughs> um, so it's the start of a new season and this new chapter. And so I just need to uh, do a few quick acknowledgments. Um, first, I want to thank Aaron Fairbanks, the last host of The Farm, the farm Report, um, who handed the reins over to me. You can check out the important work she's doing now at womeninhospitalityunited.org. I also want to thank Caleb Stein. He is the incredible musician who wrote and recorded the intro music you're going to be hearing all season long. It's an amazing track, and the best part is that he had named it Road to Everywhere. And I just love that because it really encapsulates how I feel about food and agriculture as topics that sort of underlie almost all of these bigger issues, um, social, cultural, environmental issues. So... Check out Caleb's music and his upcoming shows at calebstein.com or on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. And finally, I want to thank Nicholas Yates. He is the incredibly talented graphic designer, artist, and photographer who designed the amazing new Farm Report logo. To book him as a designer or a photographer, go to risetomorrowvisuals.com or you can follow him on Instagram at risetomorrowvisuals. 
All right. It is time to dive into our conversation. And today is also a really great day to be talking about agriculture policy, because at the federal level, it's the first public meeting of the Farm Bill Conference Committee, the group that is going to be reconciling the differences between the Senate and House Farm Bills. And that's really going to drive um, agriculture policy for the next five years and beyond. So today's a really big day, but we're going to be talking about a different local urban farm bill. So let's start with, um, actually, um, Rafael, I want to start with the press conference that you held um, a few weeks ago. I um, attended as a reporter for Edible Brooklyn, and it was at a community garden in East New York, Brooklyn, uh, where you announced this urban agriculture legislation package. So tell me why you chose East New York. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's important to kind of um, lay out where we are today. We're in Bushwick, we're at Roberta's. Um, Bushwick has become a food mecca over the past few years. But unfortunately, only 10 minutes away, uh, East New York uh, continues to be a neighborhood that deals with a lot of food insecurity. Uh, some like to use the, the phrase, uh, food, they've been food apartheid. Mm-hmm. And um, the gardens in East New York, I think, play a crucial role in being a hub for local residents who have access um, to green space, uh, have access to a, a space where they can build community. But I think more importantly, a space where they can become more familiar with fresh fruits and vegetables and also have access uh, to that food as well. Um, you know, I think it's a little known fact, little known fact that East New York actually has the most gardens that the city has to offer. I believe the number is between 50 and 60 gardens compared to the 500 across the five boroughs. So while it's been food apartheid, while it's still food insecure when it comes to markets and farmers markets and uh, supermarkets that provide fresh fruits and vegetables, there's these little gardens, these little oases that exist Mm -hmm. that are playing a crucial role in in connecting that that gap. Right, yeah, I was really shocked by that number. Um, I had no idea that the most community gardens were in that neighborhood. I actually learned that that day. (laughs) Yeah, it was very surprising and encouraging. Yeah, and didn't, you grew up in East New York, is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I was I was born and raised there. I was born and raised in uh, this little neighborhood called Cypress Hills, which is just above like East New York proper and sandwiched between Bushwick as well. But we are all part of the same neighborhood. Um, and you know, I grew up in the late '80s and '90s, and uh, I, I think that the conditions we see today are the same conditions that existed before. The difference is that now there's a lot of uh, there's a bigger awareness around the importance of a healthy diet and access mm-hmm. to fresh foods. Yeah, do you remember the community gardens from when you were a kid there? Yeah, I mean there 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 are some that still exist that um, actually have been recently uh, made over uh, by nonprofits. Uh, they've been there for a very long time. Uh, unfortunately, we did lose a lot of the gardens because of potential development and the city taking over some of them to build affordable housing. Uh, but you know the gardens you see there today have been there for for decades. Right. And so this, the package of uh, legislation that you are proposing, um, a big component, I think there's two separate bills that address the challenges that community gardens are facing. So can you talk a little bit about those challenges um, and how the legislation um, is attempting to help those gardens? Yeah, so I introduced a piece of legislation that would further protect gardens from having uh, the gardens having to turn over the lots to the city in order to be used for other functions like building affordable housing. Uh, so what was happening over the past few years is that the city was able to come in at any point and tell uh, the entity that was that was uh, managing the garden that they had to leave by a certain day because they're going to use it for other purposes. What my bill does is gives them 
or requires a city to give the garden at least one year notice mm. that they're going to start a proceeding to uh, take the garden away, which I think would give the gardeners the tools they need and the time they need to organize, probably get the proper legal representation, probably get support from their local elected officials, and be able to save that garden from being turned over for other uses. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you mentioned um, the the city often taking over the gardens um, or trying to uh, because of this argument that they need more space for affordable housing. Um, I've heard that a lot. How how do you balance like that need? Because I mean, you know, I think we would both agree that affordable housing is really important, yeah. right? So how how do you balance the need for more space for that with the desire to keep these gardens yeah i mean it's tricky and it's tricky to to have that conversation i think it's it's um it could be kind of a, a tightrope walk when you try to explain to a community that 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 garden is just as important as the housing that they're going to build i think right now in new york we're all feeling the squeeze we're all looking for an affordable apartment we're all feeling the pressures from our landlords and i think that part of us would think it's crazy to stop the city from building more affordable housing so that we could have somewhere to live and not be pushed out of the, of the city but you know, studies show that, you know, if you don't have access to green space, uh, crime goes up, uh, mental health issues uh, rise, um, you know, folks don't have a, a place to build community. And in the long run has a more detrimental effect on, on, on the community. So in order to produce healthy communities and a, a community that has a good quality of life uh, for yourself and, and for your neighbors, you need those green spaces and they're vital. So that's why it's important to make sure that when we talk about building or development, we're also talking about how does green space fall into that conversation as well. Right. Well, and I, I would imagine that it's hard as a um, legislator kind of getting the city to weigh the things that you're talking about as important and you know consider them as important as something as concrete as like we need this many units to house this many people right but it, it made me what you were saying made me think about this study that um johns hopkins did they have this uh, center called center for a livable future and um they did a study on the um sort of the benefits of urban agriculture um, i don't know if you've seen it but one thing that really stuck with me from that was uh, they talked about the benefits of these green spaces, community gardens, and they sort of said even when these places don't, you know, the research shows that even if they're not producing enough food to feed, you know, a majority of people in the neighborhood, the, there are these, like, really tangible benefits to just, like, community cohes cohesion and, um, like, sort of the social bonds that um, form in communities, mm -hmm. and that's sort of what you're speaking to, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, I think that... Um community gardens and and urban ag as a whole deals with a lot of the issues and ills that i think we deal as we that, that we are dealing and seeing with seeing as a city right um mm -hmm. when you talk about climate change you know how do we deal with the the overheating city city build more green space how do we deal with the you know uh, over or flooding streets and steam and storm drainage uh, issues uh the soil in these gardens are going to absorb that water and help you know maintain you know and help with those issues uh, when it comes to mental health and all those other things i mentioned the, the gardens play an important role and i think you know you see it even as, as an individual i think we all at some point look to leave the city to go out into the great outdoors and enjoy nature and i think that's just a natural need and want as, as human beings and that gets lost in the in the conversation when we're, when we're trying to build uh, more more units of housing yeah 
Yeah, and I, I think um, one of the other benefits, too, um, that they identified in the study was um, education of local kids, right? And how it, it made me think, I did this story last year, and I went to the bed farm, which I'm sure you've, you've seen before, and um, I was walking around with the, the two founders of that farm, and this guy came over to us, and he was just like, do you guys have the pictures of my kids holding the chickens? <laughs> and like, it was so unprompted. And, you know, he didn't even know I was a journalist that I was interviewing them about the work they do. And it was just so funny because he was like, my kids are, they've been freaking out about this. Like they never saw a real chicken and they were holding the chickens and I can't right. find the photos. Right. <laughs> and it, but it was just this sense of like exposing kids that are growing up in these urban environments to, you know, animals but also just where their where food comes from and in this really tangible way yeah i mean i'm guilty of it as well i visited a farm over somewhere in central brooklyn uh, it was actually in front of a high school and they were giving me a tour of the farm and they were picking like uh i think there were beans and and other vegetables and they were just handing them to me and they were like just eat it and i'm like i'm gonna eat this off the ground in brooklyn yeah. you know without it being washed and they're like <laughs> no no it's fine it's organic you know we cared for it so it's there's a there's a real disconnect that happens when you when you grow up in a city and right. it's important that kids have access to to that and understand the importance of it yeah and so that's, we're sort of talking about community gardens, but in New York, there's just such um, an incredible landscape of different kinds of urban agriculture happening. Um, we were talking a little before this about how you sort of started to get interested in, in urban farming and the bigger operations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, personally, uh, I grew up, growing up in East New York, um, I was lucky enough to have parents that knew the importance of fresh fruits and vegetables. They actually grew lettuce and cabbage and eggplants in, in our backyards, and we would eat them over in the summer. Um, but when I got older, I remember coming into Roberta's and you know not being aware that urban ag was could be this bigger thing that helps feed communities and help feeds uh, cities and helps provide foods for the restaurants we go to. And when I was at Roberta's uh, 10 years ago, um, I learned about the garden that they had here in their own yard, but also with the partnership they had with, with the rooftop farms, I think in Eagle Street and with Brooklyn Grange mm -hmm. uh, or by the waterfront. And, you know, there I learned that, that that this can be a bigger part of the way the city operates, could be a bigger part of our city's ecosystem. You know, how do we produce food so that uh, we don't have to rely on, on it being uh, sourced from, you know, other states and from uh, other parts of, this, of the state. Because, um, one, it will reduce carbon emissions. Two, you know, it, it would provide um, a local stock of fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, and three, it's also, uh, I think, a probably, you know, no, not probably, but it is a, a new uh, way to um, drive the economy. Mm. Yeah, and, and so we talked a little bit about your... Um, the two bills that address community gardens, and then there's a third one that is um, basically a comprehensive urban agriculture plan. Yeah, correct. Yeah, can you can you say a little bit about what that will do? Yeah, so um, the borough president Eric Adams and myself teamed up on on this issue, and we both felt that the city wasn't doing enough. That the city didn't didn't understand the importance of supporting urban agriculture, whether it be from a community gardens at the point to uh, those that are using rooftops and and even those in the inside warehouses, you know, doing uh, doing aquaponics and and then using other technology to grow food. So uh, we created a piece of legislation that simply 
um, requires the city of New York and the agencies that have the expertise and the knowledge to create a plan of how the city is going to support uh, urban agriculture moving forward. Um, we have similar plans for how we're going to improve, improve bus service. We have similar plans on how we're going to build more affordable housing. But let's talk about green space and food. And, um, you know, we did receive a lot of resistance uh, over the past few months, but we were able to reintroduce the bill uh, just last month, and we're hoping to drive that conversation further. We teamed up with kids in or students in Columbia University, and they've spent a whole semester um, pretty much doing the city's work and drawing out what the city could be doing better to support the industry as a whole. Mm. What were some of the findings that came out of that process with the students at Columbia? Was there anything that really surprised you about the landscape of urban agriculture in the city or just, you know, sort of like really big takeaways from that research? Yeah, I think that what, what, what's really important to know is that what the issues we have here in Brooklyn is no different than the issues that they have in the Bronx and other parts of the boroughs. So the farms are all looking for the same type of support. They're looking for the city uh, to create a funding stream that will help keep their gardens running. They're looking for support in helping keeping their gardens open and pushing back against other legal issues that they might encounter, like development. Uh, they're looking for support getting supplies. Uh, you know, there there's uh, soil banks that the cities have invested into, but these soil banks are tough to um, tap into, and they want to see an expansion of these soil banks so gardens can have access to free soil. Um, and they want the city to finally uh, say that they're there to support them and they value the importance of their work. Uh, but also when you talk about the guys that are doing this inside warehouses, they feel that there's not enough um, uh, legal uh, language and zoning protections in general or zoning clarity on what on, on whether or not they're actually allowed to do the work that they're doing within, within these warehouses and selling the food in a, in a, in a legal way. So they're just looking for legitimacy. They're looking for the city to say, that yes, this is a proper industry, this is an industry the city supports, this is an industry the city recognizes, because the the the, the people who are um, running these these um, in, industrial farms um, are having issues getting seed funding from investors, because investors are afraid that if they invest a million dollars into a company in New York City, that maybe at some point the New York City might turn around and say that indoor farming is illegal. So mm -hmm. if once the city is able to actually take that step, um, we, we, we would see, I think, a, a bigger increase in the numbers of, of industrial farming in our city. So sort of like clarifying what can and can't be done and just having really clear regulations. Yeah, that, yeah, definitely. And we took a first step, I think, what I believe to be a major first step by creating an urban ag website. Uh, so the city of New York, for the first time in its history, has a website dedicated to pointing um, urban farm, uh, urban garden farmers and like indoor farmers to the resources that, that currently exist. Mm. Yeah, I, I've been on the website. It looks great. <laughs> That's good to hear. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I want to, um, we're going to take a short break and um, just to hear from a sponsor. Um, and then when we come back, I want to dig a little bit more into um, the economic benefits uh, to the city of urban agriculture and sort of the process of where this legislation is going, like when it's going to come up for a vote, will it pass, all that good stuff. We'll be right back.
This episode is brought to you by Southern Farm and Garden, a beautiful handcrafted agricultural journal. Each issue features stories about food history, seasonal recipes, artisanal products, and the amazing people who bring it to your table. Packed with stunning photography, the content is fresh and educational. Southern Farm and Garden takes you behind the scenes to meet farmers, gardeners, wineries, chefs, and artists who are passionate about creating healthy, unique, and sustainable food and products that you can enjoy all year. Are you interested in eating healthier and learning more about where your food comes from and living a more connected life? Purchase a copy today at southernfarmandgarden.com. Foodtank.com named Southern Farm and Garden one of the top 20 magazines for people who eat, cook, and grow, praising it for connecting readers with the food, the farms, and the stories behind our food system. Subscribe today or find a retailer near you at southernfarmandgarden.com. All right, we're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio. And I'm here speaking with New York City Council Member Rafael Espinal. We've been talking about his legislation related to urban agriculture policy in New York City. Um, so I want to take a little bit of a step back from uh, where we've, we've been talking about benefits. We've been talking about moving forward. Um, you mentioned earlier that when you first introduced this, the original legislation, which was last year, um, there was a lot of resistance from the city. So um, can you talk a little bit about why? Like, what, what's your sense of why wouldn't people want to support urban ag in New York City? Yeah, I mean, the political reason, I would say, as an elected official um, who gets elected and goes through the democratic process, mm-hmm. I would say that we don't have enough folks out there yelling and screaming and saying the city has to do something. Mm. I think that if we were able to organize and you know, hold press conferences, continue uh, going around the five boroughs, and continue highlighting why this is important, uh, and putting that pressure in the mayor's office, that they'll start waking up and seeing that this is actually a real conversation that needs to be had. Mm. I think that we haven't hit that sweet spot yet of where um, we are able to garner all the attention we need to kind of push them into the right direction. Uh, we're doing that slowly, and we're getting there. Um, that's why I believe that the website was the first it was a great first step mm-hmm. um, so you know I think it's going to it take all of us just to uh, make sure that we are in tune with what's happening uh, I do have to have hold hearings on these bills at some point so it's going to be important for everyone to come out and show support in City Hall uh, pack the room um, for, like for example you know just recently had a, re- uh, uh, a hearing on plastic straws and the mayor's office pulled me aside and said well this, this room is packed as if there was some huge major development controversy happening here so we need to like replicate that and make sure we do the same for urban ag so it's just it just it will take a lot of advocacy to get there yeah and is part of that complicated by the fact that there are so many different kinds of urban agriculture in new york so you know we, we talked about community gardens we started to talk about these bigger urban farms um there's also the so there's the rooftop kind of urban farms and then there's the really tech forward indoor farms like square roots and um, Gotham Greens and Bowery. It seems like, you know, what what works for one of one group might not necessarily work for another. And so, 
is is that a challenge like in representing all their interests and Huge. how are you dealing with that? Huge challenge. <laughs> um, it's actually probably was the biggest challenge we had as an office because uh, we brought everyone into a room mm -hmm. and uh, we had some very tough conversations on what the city should be doing moving forward, but also what uh, the different groups can be doing to be supporting each other and not feel as if one is going to get more resources than the other or one is overstepping and becoming like the, the lead in the conversation over the other. And it was just, it was just a, a, we have to find a way where we can uh, bridge the divide, um, understand that we're all trying to achieve the same goal, which is make New York City greener and healthier and uh, have more access to, to fresh fruits and vegetables that are actually being grown here and um, figure out ways we can help support each other and then move forward. Um, we have luckily have been able to get to that point, and I think that we're all in a good space now. Um, and uh, we're going to continue uh, having these conversations, and you know, just stick together, and we'll get there. Yeah. So, and what's the what's the biggest difference now going into these hearings that you're going to have to hold, as opposed to when this the vote happened last year and it, it didn't succeed? Um, like, yeah. how, is it does it feel really different in terms of the potential for passing it? It feels a lot different. Um, I think that we um, have gotten to a, a new space in, in the conversation. Again, we've already forced the city to do something around urban ag. Right. Um, so this has become part of their narrative at this point. Um, and it's also important to know, I guess, is that you know, the city has 50 different priorities. The mayor has 50 different priorities. This is probably something he's never thought about when he ran for office. Um, so, which is why it's important that we continue driving the conversation, having these hearings. Um, and I hope that when the next time they come into the room, that they come with a fresh pair of eyes and, and kind of see this as, as, a, as a priority for the city moving forward. Right. Do you have a sense of when those hearings would be taking place? I'm hoping to have some before the end of the year. Um, you know, there are, I believe, three different bills that we want to hear. So um, hopefully we can get them all on in one day. And, you know, I know that the, the city council as a whole is very supportive of urban farming and urban agriculture. We all have farms in our districts. Uh, the speaker, Corey Johnson himself, is a, is a huge fan of of farming in general. So the, the will is in the city council and it was just a matter of finding the right time to, to hold the whole hearing. Mm. And um, Eric Adams, the Brooklyn borough president, he's been really instrumental to moving this forward as well. Yeah. Correct? Huge advocate. Um, you know, he has his own personal story of why, um, you know, um, agriculture is important to him. He suffered, he's suffered with diabetes. He was able to reverse his, his um, diagnosis through food and healthy eating. So he's looking at this as a, from the health, health point of view. And, you know, I think he has a, a very powerful story that resonates with a lot of folks, especially those folks who live in those communities that have been food insecure for so long. Right. And when you were looking at, um, you know, doing research on what is happening in terms of urban agriculture in New York and then also just what, what would work for the city um, when it comes to a comprehensive plan. Um, did you look at all at what's happening in other cities? So I know there have been really progressive urban agriculture um, bills passed in lots of cities. One that really surprised me is like Boston mm -hmm. passed this like mm -hmm. really um, progressive law. And, you know, you think Boston, you don't yeah. think they could be growing unfortunately, anything. <laughs> unfortunately, we're behind right. on Boston on this one, um, which kind of stings. Um, but yeah, Boston created a website. Boston put in zoning regulations in place. They created this huge, you know, 20, 30, 40 page document that kind of outlines all of the rules and regulations people have to follow uh, when creating a farm. Uh, you 
usually think that rules and regulations are, are bad when you're when you're trying to do something in the city of New York. But I think that that provides clarity to everyone. You know, how many chicken coops can you have? How many chickens can you have in a coop? You know, how, are you allowed to have bees? Are you allowed to, you know, grow uh, fresh fruits and vegetables in on, on the soil in your yard? So I think that that's where we should be headed. You know, we should be following in Boston's footsteps. Um, it's probably the only time you hear me say that, but that's what <laughs> we should be doing. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure that we're not behind in this conversation. This is, we are living in the largest city in the country. And, you know, if, if any, any city should be involved in this conversation is ours. So, um, I'm hoping that, um, you know, we continue looking at what other cities are doing as inspiration, but uh, you know, it's, it's our responsibility to take this to the next level. Yeah. Did you did you see any evidence that cities that have passed legislation um, that that it has affected the growth of ur- urban agriculture in those cities? Um, I don't have um, numbers, but I, anecdotally speaking, you know, I can say that the reason we're looking at these cities is because uh, there has been evidence that shows that you know that um, one uh, the the tech the tech folks are feel feel supported. They feel that, that they're able to continue their work there. Um, the gardens um, also feel that the city is investing more into the work they're doing. Um, you know, again, New York is not is not follow is not following, and New York has to step up and do that. Right. Um, I'm also curious, just as part of this process, have you been visiting a lot of urban farms um, around the city? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, everyone's been inviting me over, and I hope that everyone continues to invite me over. I would love to see every single farm in the city. I'm actually scheduling a tour. Uh, within the next 30 days with um, some of the major advocates uh, across the five boroughs. And I'm hoping to do a five borough tour within one day and hoping to get a little little piece of the flavor of every single farm in the city. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything you've seen so far that really wowed you in terms of like, wow, I cannot believe we're growing this in New York City? <laughs> yeah, I mean, every everything. I mean, we see, I mean, we see, we see kale, we see, you know, sunflowers for seeds. Um, I, we, I saw green beans, um, anything that you can think of, I saw at some point at a farm somewhere. Mm-hmm. And again, I think what, what blew me, blew me, blew me, blew my mind the most was that was the fact that I was able to pull it off the ground just and eat it without having to wash it or use any sort of any other cl- cleaning, um, chemicals or ways to wash it you know we i always think of well, new york city soil as being like well you, that depends <laughs> most of the people that grow on the ground do raised beds right right <laughs> they do they do in some places they do there was one place they didn't that's what i think that's what blew my mind huh yeah. i wonder where they're getting the soil yeah, yeah. i mean it, i guess it just depends on where you are right. and, um but that i mean and that sort of speaks to one of the really incredible challenges of growing here is like there's all these things that you have to think about right and like yeah. you can't just plant something you have to like think what's in this soil what was here before definitely um, i mean who can you who can potentially get sick from what you're giving them right you know, is, is what you're growing safe so there's a lot that goes into especially in a city right because of all of the construction and all of the demolitions that have happened mm-hmm. you know a lot of the soil is contaminated with lead uh and and other particles unfortunately so you know if you're gonna go out there be very careful with where you're gonna plant and seed yeah do you grow anything um (laughs) i started growing some stuff honestly Uh, i got some basil going in my yard um i have some mints going uh and i actually just recently planted um uh mustard um beet 
beets uh beets yeah beet greens nice so i'm waiting for that to kind of come to fruition and with that i'm using um aquaponics oh cool yeah so yeah yeah looking forward to uh tasting that when it comes to when I'm, when it's ready to harvest yeah well and hydroponics i mean that's a huge area of growth i think in in new york for sure there's so many farms indoor farms doing that now um have you been to any of those like gotham greens or yeah i, I went to square roots okay um in flushing mm-hmm. right and you know they, they had a very impressive operation um if you haven't been you'll see containers filled with basil and other herbs um and a lot of young folks that are getting involved and building their own community there and i think that it's it's a great space and um you know, we should continue supporting spaces like that and making sure that they don't feel uh, pushed out or that they don't have the proper support in order to continue existing. Right. So what would, say this um, legislation moves forward, you do the hearings, it goes well, everything gets passed. Um, what will, what does the future look like for you in terms of like success for urban agriculture in New York? Like what, what would a thriving urban agriculture landscape look like to you? I envision a lot less dependence from from foods being trucked from mm-hmm. out of the city. Uh, I envision uh, New Yorkers who uh, normally probably wouldn't farm as seeing this as a viable option for them, um, being able to go up, up to their rooftops or their yard and use those spaces comfortably, knowing that they're following proper rules and regulations or uh, proper um, you know just health practices to make sure what they're growing is safe. Um, but I also envision, you know, every single rooftop in the city that's being not that's untapped, um, being supported by this, the city of New York to support the farmers to use those spaces in order for them to grow their own operations there. Uh, so, you know, I think that there's a lot of unused space, uh, there's a lot of rooftops, a lot of garden, a lot of um, empty lots that that should be invested in and be given to local nonprofits or local community organizations that can potentially use that uh, to help the, the surrounding neighborhood. Yeah. And we've been talking a lot about rules and regulations and then the use of space. But when you just um, talked about this idea of people learning how to grow food, right? Um, it just made me think like, is, is there any part of the, the urban ag plan that talks about education? Yeah, definitely. 100%. Um, I have also made it a, a priority of mine, the borough president himself as well, uh, to invest um, tax dollars into schools across Brooklyn uh, that that don't have greenhouses to install and, and build out greenhouses. You know, I'm, I'm proud to say that in East New York, there's a new school being built right now, and part of, and part of the school is, is, is a green roof, is a greenhouse on top of their rooftop. Um, which the students will be able to use one to to learn you know um, how, how, to, how to grow but also be able to use that food in the lunchrooms downstairs and that's what we want to see across across every single school across the city and the board president and I was also talking about how can we make sure that this policy um, put into this overall conversation that every school is going to have to have uh, some sort of green green space for people to be able to grow that's amazing wow yeah so we're excited about that yeah. Um, Absolutely. Um, all right. Um, I think we will wrap it up there. Um, thank you so much, Rafael, for being here. Um, if people want to find you online, if they want to stay up on what you're doing, where should they find you? Uh, Rafael Espinal, NYC, or my handle is RL Espinal. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, 
please rate the podcast and share it with all of your friends, obviously. And then tune in next Wednesday for a conversation with Hudson Valley Harvest and Local Roots NYC. We'll be talking about regional food system innovations and what works and doesn't work in terms of connecting farmers to local eaters. See you then. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.